Bulletproof Radio, a state of high performance. You're listening to Bulletproof Radio with Dave Asprey. What if there was a way to level up your energy, get rid of stress, and take more control of your body? Welcome to Quantum Upgrade. This is a new technology that taps into quantum energy to help you feel amazing. Quantum Upgrade has a lot of different products that help protect you from EMF and help activate your body's natural healing abilities. You can expect better sleep, more resilience, less stress, and better blood flow. The cool thing about Quantum Upgrade is that the products are backed by a lot of heavy-duty scientific studies, and there's a new measurable upgrade. You can now use Quantum Upgrade to increase your consciousness levels between 1,400 and 2,200 on the Hawkins map of consciousness. If you don't know what that means, do some research because it's impressive, it's fun to learn about, and it's something that I've come to understand. Ready to try Quantum Upgrade? Visit quantumupgrade.io slash Dave for a seven-day free trial. Everyone's talking about red light therapy beds, and for good reason. There's a company called ARRC LED that's building an entirely new class of LED devices. ARRC LED beds integrate proprietary scanning technology and frequency protocols to shape the delivery of six different wavelengths in dose-optimized photobiomodulation. Yes, that's a lot of words. What it is, though, is that photobiomodulation improves the underlying energetics of the cells in your body. And those changes can benefit nearly every tissue and organ and system in your body. You change your cells and you change your life. For more information, visit ARRCLED.com. Today's cool fact of the day is that sweating does more than just cool you off. In 2012, a review of 50 studies on sweating found that sweating removes lead, cadmium, arsenic, mercury, especially in people who have heavy metal toxicity like I used to have. I had high levels of mercury and moderately high levels of lead that were affecting me. Sweating also eliminates BPA, which is a hormone disruptor found in plastics, and that stuff accumulates in your fat cells. If you do something like the rapid fat loss protocol, the bulletproof diet, or even go on like a crash starvation diet, uh, like a low calorie, low fat thing, if you dump a lot of fat all at once, all of those toxins come into the body. So you're going to want to sweat more if you're losing more weight. And so what you want to do is you want to sweat. Saunas are good. Exercise is good. Uh, pretty much anything that makes you sweat can be good for detoxing. So you're, it's a way to biohack your way to uh, feeling better, performing better, just when you eliminate waste. What if there was a way to feel younger for longer? Well, there is. Your body needs something called the NAD plus molecule to help you age well. When you're young, your body makes a lot of NAD plus, and that helps you make energy. It helps you keep your DNA healthy, absorb nutrients well, and it protects your cells from stress. But once you hit about 30, your NAD plus levels start to drop. The good news is that longevity scientists have found some things that can help, like niacin, niacinamide, and niagen. They help your body make more NAD+, even as you age. All three of these are in an amazing formula called Qualia NAD+. Check out Qualia NAD+, risk-free, for up to 100 days at neurohacker.com slash Dave15 to save an extra 15%. That's neurohacker.com slash Dave15, Qualia NAD+. It's what I use. Today's guest has almost half a decade working in functional medicine. In fact, he was working in functional medicine before it even was named functional medicine. In fact, I think before it was even called orthomolecular medicine. 
And he's one of the world's leading authorities on science-based natural medicine, has written a dozen books on it, hundreds of papers. He was named in 2003 the American Holistic Medical Association's uh, top 25 pioneers in holistic medicine, the founding president of Seattle's Bastyr University. Uh, president Clinton in 2000 appointed him to the White House Commission on Complementary and Alternative Medicine Policy. Uh, I mentioned he's an author. He's also a best-selling author. And he has a brand new book that you're totally going to want to check out called The Toxin Solution, How Hidden Poisons in Air, Water, Food, and Products We Use Are Destroying Our Health, and What You Can Do to Fix It. So we're going to talk about toxins today, which is a, a big differentiator uh, for just the, the way of thinking about taking control of your health. Like maybe if you do less of the things that make you weak, you'll be stronger. And the guy who's been doing this actually longer than I've been alive is none other than Dr. Joseph Pizzorno. Uh, Dr. Pizzorno, welcome to the show. Well, thank, thank you for the kind introduction. What made you write, this is your 13th book, or is this your 12th book? Okay, so actually, um, I'm, working, I'm working on number 12, this is number 11. It was okay. only number 11, geez, right. I, I oversold you, sorry, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, working on 12, this is number 11. So what made you write this book, given that you have a, a pretty strong uh, set of books, including some, some leading books in the field already? Yes. What's new in, in the toxin in the toxin world? So I've been involved in medicine now for about half a century. Uh, first as a researcher in conventional medicine, then as a student of naturopathic medicine, then as a clinician, then founded Bastard University, and then writing books and lecturing literally all over the world. And so I've had a chance to see what makes people sick and how to help them become healthier. And starting a half century ago, the primary reasons people were having chronic disease was typically nutritional deficiencies or nutritional excesses. But then something started to change. And more and more I was noticing, I was seeing patients who were being toxic rather than nutri just nutritional deficient. And I want to be very clear, I'm not saying nutritional deficiencies and excesses haven't gone away. We've <laughs> simply had a bigger problem. Yeah. So I was starting to see more and more patients uh, showing signs of metal toxicity and chemical toxicity and intestinal toxicity. And I started realizing that they weren't responding as well to nutritional therapy like they used to, and I had to detoxify their bodies. So I said, okay, well, that's interesting. And it, it really got triggered for me back in 1980 when a young man came to see me. He was 30 years old, and he had leukemia. And, you know, leukemia is not real, well, it's not real common then, but it was kind of, an, you know, an unfortunate condition. And so I talked to him and asked what he was doing. And he said, well, I work as a farmer over in eastern Washington. And so, well, I said, well, that's interesting. Uh, uh, tell me what you're being exposed to in terms of chemicals. And, and he told me, and I said, okay, fine. So I gave him some advice on how to not get cancer again. Then two weeks later, another young man, 30 years old, of course, <laughs> Seems young now, young now, but at that time he was around my age, three years old, and he had leukemia, and he worked on a farm. And I said, "Well, that's interesting." So I said, "What chemicals are you exposed to?" And they were the same chemicals. So then, at that time, went to University of Washington School of Medicine uh, bookstore, and I bought the most current book on toxicology. And I started looking at the chemicals you're exposed to, and lo and behold, these chemicals induce cancer. But what's interesting, the toxicology book said, well, it only induces toxicity and cancer in people who have high exposure like farmers. It doesn't affect anybody else. And I thought, okay, well, maybe that's true because everybody else has lower dosage. But then you start looking at it, we're not just being exposed to one or two pesticides and herbicides. We're being exposed to a lot of these things. And now people are being exposed their whole lives. 
So I thought, well, that's interesting. So then I started looking at the research on toxins and disease, and I was just stunned by what I found. And so now I'm making the assertion that the primary cause of chronic disease today in the Western world is the toxins we're exposed to. The wonders of modern civilization, as much as I love hot showers and having all these computers and things like this, there is a price we've been paying, and we have to become more aware of that price and realize that, indeed, we can avoid many of these toxins. We can help our body get the toxins out, and we can get the toxins out and become healthier. There's a, a class of people, and I might have been one years ago and as a raw vegan, where the mindset is, look, I want to get all my nutrients from Mother Nature. And, and what I found just in my own course of losing 100 pounds and getting my brain back is that, well, you should only be exposed to Mother Nature's toxins if you want to only get nutrients from Mother Nature. And like, we don't live in that world anymore. You now, you sound, it sounds like you really came across this 35 years ago, and you've been in clinical practice for a good portion of that 35 years working with toxins, or right. is it more research? Like, what's the, the breakdown? Well, I do both. So uh, okay. before I started Bastyr, I was doing full-time uh, primary care. <clears throat> so I saw a lot of patients then. But after I started Bastyr, I couldn't do primary care yeah. anymore. But having said that, what I end up doing is more concierge kind of care. So yeah. I would see maybe a dozen patients a year. And I would only see the really, really sick ones, the really, really difficult ones. And typically people with lots of money, which is advantageous because then I could run all the lab tests I wanted yeah. to on them. So I, I got, to, got to see a number of people, but also I got involved in some very interesting corporate wellness programs. And probably the most important was one I did in uh, Alberta, Canada, where I was invited by one of the wealthiest men in Canada to help improve the health of his oil field workers. I said, oh, great, this is interesting. So I said, uh, I have some ideas on how to improve their health, but I want to do it objectively, which means I need good data, so I want to run lab tests on them. And he says, okay. I said, I want, I want to test their nutritional status. I want to test their toxic status. I want to test how their metabolism is working. And I asked him, how, how much can I spend? And he said, blank check. I said, we need a blank <laughs> check. <laughs> right. You know, every they, researcher they mean it. Body <laughs> dreams, right? So I asked him, okay, so uh, I decided to start telling him, uh, what test I wanted to run. And he said, well, if you could convince me I should run the test, I'll run it. So I ran $1,500 lab tests on 4,500 oil-filled workers. So I got a huge amount of data, and I started looking at the research and looking at lots of toxicity, lots of indications of toxicity. Then I started looking at, well, how do you get the toxins out of people? And we started getting people toxins out of people, and the health started to improve, and boy, it, just, it really got me deeply into it. That, that wasn't Brett Wilson, or maybe you can't say, uh, he's on Dragon's Den, but Brett, Brett and I have become friends. That sounds like something he would do, where he, he's a, a Canadian oil billionaire who just, just is conscientious about things like that. But maybe it's just part of being in Canada, like that's just the, the mindset here. But I, I've, that blows my mind, $1,500 times 4,500 people yes. for corporate wellness, that is above, above the par. What... So oil field workers get exposed to all sorts of nasty organic solvents, not just raw petroleum. What kind of stuff okay. did you find in these people? I, I'm so, so dying to know. Okay, great question. Because I actually use this in my lecture to students, and, and you know, I lecture on this now all over the world. And so everybody, of course, immediately thinks, oh, oil field workers, a lot of chemical exposure from working in the oil fields. No. So basically, these are guys, and by the way, we had office wow. people, not just oil field workers. Okay. So these are basically guys, typically guys, they get in their pickup truck in the morning, have a cowboy breakfast. A cowboy breakfast is 
a, a cup of coffee, a pee, and a look around. <laughs> well, he's finding things from the Canadians. They get mm -hmm. in their pickup truck. They drive out to a prairie. They check out the pump to make sure it's functioning properly. And then they uh, do that, and they go home. So the, basically, they're rarely exposed to chemicals. Oh, wow. Okay, so, so then it's why? lack of exercise? Or what, what did you find? So why all the toxicity? Yeah. So they drink, but you know they don't drink a lot more than anybody else does. When you start talking to these guys and realize that many of them are doing two things that are very problematic for them. One is they fish in the lakes in Canada that have been poisoned with lots of metal toxins from industry. Wow. And, and second, they work in the oil fields to subsidize the family farm. They have family farms that have been in, in the family for generations. Yeah. They, because of agribusiness now, they can't quite compete, so they need a little extra income, and so they get the income from working in the oil fields. And what are they doing on those family farms? Herbicides, pesticides, all these things they're doing that are then exposing them, showing signs in their blood test of toxicity, and who is eating the foods that they're making, they're preparing, that's us. Wow, that's that's shocking. And and the data there, even going going back a few years, is that small farms, ninety percent of them are not self sustaining. You have to have yes. a job. I'm a small farmer. Oh yeah. Uh, I live okay. on I live on thirty two acres on Vancouver Island. Oh nice. Uh, we we have a the goal was to grow all of our own food. I can tell you right. there's nothing sprayed ever on this property. Right. And certainly we don't spray anything other than, you know, natural stuff. Uh, and it, there's no way it pays for itself. No. <laughs> Even if, if my whole family worked 12 hours a day, it would not pay our cost of, of living uh, or anything. Like you, just, you have to do that, especially organic. So what you're finding is the oil industry wasn't responsible, at least maybe the oil no, industry not, runoff not, yeah, and pollution right. into the right. fish. That was where the metals were coming from, and then the endocrine disruptors were coming from what they sprayed on their fields. Correct. And, okay. and as you know, uh, you mentioned glutathione, which... Uh, I'm delighted to hear your interest in it. I think it's a, a fascinating area and have a lecture on that as well. <clears throat> so one of the tests I ran on these people was a test called GGT. So GGT, uh, gamma glutamyl transferase, is a standard liver enzyme that's measured to see if a person has hepatitis. So when, they're, when their livers are damaged, the enzyme gets really high and it's a way to try to recognize who has hepatitis and figure out why. It turns out, as you may know, Within the normal range, which is 10 to 60, GGT goes up in proportion to chemical and metal exposure for 90% mm. of the population. Now, uh, by the way, water-damaged buildings, uh, toxic huh? mold, will also raise GGT because the, the toxins there from Mother Nature will also damage your liver, right? So to, any to, toxin to can do it. Okay. Yeah, actually, actually, look at research looking at the VOCs being released by the molds and then look at the effects of chemical toxins in the body. It's almost identical. Quite, quite yes. interesting. So the thing with GTT uh, is that for 90% of the population, it goes up in proportion to toxic load. And the reason for that is that GGT is the enzyme that recycles glutathione. So our <laughs> smart bodies, when we're exposed to toxins, say, ah, oh, I need more glutathione than I can produce from the cysteine that's available to me in the diet. So now we recycle the glutathione that's available to help protect us from the oxidative damage and to help get the toxins out of the body. So it turns out to be very important. 10% of people, unfortunately, however, don't have the genetics to upregulate GTT. And my assessment is they're the ones who are actually most damaged by the toxins. 
Okay, how do people listening know if they're one of the 10%? Like, that's a huge thing to understand. I'm guessing I might be, given like my terrible health history from toxin exposures, but I'm, he- I'm healthy now because I monitor that stuff. But how do I tell? Right. So it turns out that, uh, you know, 23andMe will do a genetic test for just $200. Mm-hmm. The problem with that is you get, you know, hundreds of thousands of SNPs, and what do they mean? So actually, I've been working with my team to uh, create an artificial intelligence program, which I think you'll appreciate based on your background, that actually will uh, go to 23andMe, download the results of the SNPs, and then determine what enzymes of the body are not working properly. We just finished last week uh, two, 250 SNPs. We've been working on it for the last year, and we now wow. have 250 SNPs into the system. So now we can determine which people are going to be most toxic susceptible. Are these different from the MTHFR and the CBS yes. mutations? Yes, so, exactly. So for, those are the same or they're different? No, 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 different. Definitely different. Okay, so, so for, for listeners who've heard some past episodes, mm-hmm. a lot of people, including me, I have some problems with my methylation and a good percentage of the population has at least some genes that are off there. And I have a problem with my sulfur metabolism as well yes. when my CBS enzymes is off. Yeah. So I change my supplement regimen. It's one of the reasons I don't tell everyone, here's all the stuff I take. I'm like, right. don't copy me. I'm genetically unique and so are you. So yes. like, do what, yes. do what matches your biology. Don't, don't copy me or any other person on their supplement regimen. It has to be custom. Correct. But uh, can people already get this test? Like, I want to do your test. Uh, okay. Is it available? Uh, yes. So uh, if you go to thetoxinsolution.com, uh, we are making access to this test. I don't think it's on that website quite yet, but it's going to be there shortly as okay. kind of a you know, promo for people pre-ordering. We actually give them free access to this test. This is super cool because 23andMe is hamstrung. There's a lot of really good data. And yes. for all listeners, you should have this level of data. I actually have my, my full genome sequenced, okay. uh, which is unusual uh, and not necessary for most people. But if you have this data, it's 200 bucks. You'll figure out that you actually have like weird stuff like I'm something like 0.1% some nomadic Siberian tribe, which is just interesting, and, and potentially 0.1% Native American too. They're not really sure. But okay, that's just cool. They can tell you that because it's not FDA regulated. But all of the good stuff in the data, the FDA hamstrung them and says they can't tell you. Right. But Dr. Bazorno, your work, you're allowed to say whatever you want on someone else's data. So we have this weird separation that's done for legal and regulatory reasons. So I would just I would say everyone here, order your 23andMe so you have the data and then run it through so you know if you have methylation problems. And right. do you also do that or they can get that on Oh yeah, so, so, so the methylation problems have been well worked out and there's a number yeah. of sites you can get that from. But we're looking at the detox enzymes and all the other okay. things. So this is a level of evaluation I'm not aware of anybody else having done. Would you tell people to go to a different website for methylation as well, or do you just oh, cover sure. that because it's already there? Okay. Yeah, well, What's yeah your we favorite? have methylation in there. Oh, oh you're in there as pure, well? Okay. Yeah, but Pure Genomics does a, does a good okay. job with the MTHFR polymorphisms. Pure genomics testing? Okay, cool. And so that's a second test, and I think that's probably free. I know Genetic Genie is one I've used. It's free, or you donate five bucks or something. Right. So, so you owe this to yourself. In the show notes, I will tell all of you these links. Uh, these are. It doesn't take a long time to do this. You, you spit in a thing. If you don't already have your results, you give your, your access to your account to the right app, and then all of a sudden, you know your weaknesses. Yes. Like, like, imagine if you're Superman... <laughs> and you don't know you're allergic to kryptonite, and then you know your, your Lois Lane gets a ring with kryptonite on it, and like sometimes you feel like crap, and sometimes you don't. You just have no yeah. idea why, and you just think maybe it's because I didn't try hard enough. This is like the story of my life, right? You're like I'm working really hard, and it's not working, 
it's because of this. So the knowledge that you're offering there is precious. I didn't realize you were doing that from looking through your work because it's not on the website yet. So thank you for offering that. Like I'm, I'm actually really excited about this. Well, you, uh, you, you might find this interesting. It'd actually be fun to have a, a cup of healthy coffee with you someday. All right. Uh, I've been working for 15 years to develop an artificial intelligence system that maps the human body. So oh, I've, cool. been, I've created a, the technical term is an annotated Bayesian inference network where we have done brute force uh, access to the research to basically map people, map physiology, and then use information about the, the user uh, to determine what the physiology is not working properly, why it's not working properly, and what to do about it. So a lot of things that you wow. so laboriously went through all these past couple of decades as illustrated in your book, we're going we're to make that easier for people. It, it's, there's no reason it should have cost me like a half a million, actually more than that now, and all of this just incredible work. And it's, it's because no one had put the data together. And it, it's funny, we will sit down for that cup of coffee. You're still in Good. Seattle and I'm yes. in Victoria, so it's close. And also my, my undergraduate degree is in a subset of artificial intelligence called decision support systems. Yes. They, they actually told us don't call it artificial intelligence because no one's ever gonna believe it's real. Right. It's actually real now, and I'm I'm really excited that you're using the huge amount of data that you have. Even you know, 4,500 people from uh, from one company where you know about their lifestyle. It it, it was unusable 10 years ago. We just mm-hmm. didn't have the data processing right. and the machine learning, and now we do. So I am I'm super excited to hear about this this because right. we're on the cusp of unraveling mysteries that haven't been out there. Uh, let's let's go back to these environmental pollutants, the, okay. these toxins. Uh, I, one of the things that 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 makes me actually there's two things that make me really concerned and, and kind of upset. Um, one of them is is a dosage response curve, mm-hmm. and and for listeners, we as humans we have this bias. We think okay, if some of it's good or bad, more of it's good and less of it's is bad. Like we just imagine a straight line that goes up and to the right. Uh, in your experience with toxins, what does the, the dose-response curve look like? <laughs> well, very good observation. Uh, I think one of the reasons why the researchers did not earlier realize the huge problem with these toxins was that we've all assumed you'd have linear dose-response curves, which means the more the toxin, the more the damage. Unfortunately, many of them have curvilinear ones, where a small amount cause a lot of da- damage, medium amount not much damage, and a higher amount cause a lot of damage. So one of the ways that researchers try to determine how problematic a toxin is, they look at what happens in animals at low dosages, what happens in medium dosage, what happens in high dosages. And if it doesn't look like there's a lot of difference between them, particularly low dose and high dose, they figure, well, apparently it's not a big problem. But unfortunately, what's happening is these things have surprisingly, surprisingly significant effects at low dosages. But the even bigger problem is that so much of that research was done on single toxins at a time. Yes. That was my second question for you. Oh, right yes. Keep going. <laughs> so as I tell my students, so I, so I, it just so happens, um, just taught my last class this morning at Bastyr University, a class I've been teaching the students now for 40 years called wow. Healing Systems. Okay. So in, in healing, <laughs> so in, 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 in healing systems, I talk to students about, you know, you got to get all the parts of your body working the way they're supposed to. So anyway, so as I, was, uh, as I said to them, when you look at toxicity, Yes, the specific toxic effects are very, very important, but you have to look at total toxic load. Because when you look at total toxic load, now you get very clear linear effects. The more toxins you've got, the more damage it does to the body. And a big reason that happens 
is because glutathione plays such a critical role in both protecting us from the oxidative stress from the toxins, but also for getting them out, like mercury and all these uh, persistent organic pollutants and such, the phase two conjugation with glutathione, and it's kind of technical, but it requires glutathione. Well, the more toxins you get, you, you basically start depleting your glutathione, and as you deplete glutathione, you now can't protect your DNA from oxidative damage, but even more critical, you can't protect your mitochondria from <laughs> oxidative damage. So you get older faster, you get sicker faster, and you get more cancer faster. That's why I just finished writing Headstrong, which is all about how do you protect and upregulate mm -hmm. mitochondrial function and mitochondrial density mm -hmm. because stuff, right. whether it's the metals, the toxins, poor diet, stress, bad light, all that stuff affects you. Yes. I don't want to age. I want to live to 180. Right. <laughs> like That's my goal. By the way, is that a good goal? Is it possible for a 45-year-old to hit 180, do you think, or am I nuts? Um, my best assessment is not with, not with our current technology. Agreed. So our, I think our human beings, our top end is going to be around 120. If you do everything right, the best you can do is 120. Now, having said that, though, I think there are some technologies evolving that will help us start repairing some of the damaged DNA and, and extend that along. But until we can actually better repair the damaged DNA, I think we've got a, we've got a time limit here. So, so we, we're in full agreement. Uh, I think 120 currently is reasonable. I'm just yes. betting that something cool will happen over the next 80 years because when I go back 80 years, things are pretty different. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I hope so as well. And, and also I have, a, I have a, the great fortune of being from a relatively long-lived family. So I knew my great-grandfather. Okay? My oh, great-grandfather wow. lived to age 95, never saw a doctor in his life, had no apparent disease, no limitations, uh, I used to, as a precocious youngster, I used to play strategy cards games with him, and he beat me all the time. So I'm wow. thinking, there, there's, there's my great-grandfather. He's doing everything. You know, he, he lived basically the Mediterranean-type lifestyle, but what I would call a healthy Mediterranean-type lifestyle with low toxic exposure. And he did, he did incredibly well. Then I looked at what happened to my grandfather and my father, and as it went from the Mediterranean lifestyle of healthy foods and low toxins to more and more of the North American-type diet and lifestyle, you can see them start to de degenerate, start developing disease, and start developing dementia and all these other things. So I want to be like my great-grandfather. I, I want to have a healthy, full life and not much disease. The, the big differentiator there, when, when I say things, and I'm not the only one talking about living beyond what people think is possible right now, but I'm one of the, the further outnumbered people in, in the public eye, and everyone says, well, why would you want to look, you know, like a turtle and, and be like in a wheelchair for 60 years? Like, <laughs> that's not exactly. what I'm talking about. I want to look like this when I'm 180. Yes. I don't know if I could do that, yes. but I'm, I hope with technology and avoiding the toxins that you write about right. in the toxin solution, uh, like, like that, there's, uh, that, that there's hope anyway. Yes, yes. Now, you talked about this, this dose-response curve and, and how... Toxins uh, at very low doses can have just terrible effects and then bad effects at high doses, but since it's not a straight line, researchers just kind of throw it out as saying it doesn't really matter. Right. There's also this issue that, that safe levels of one toxin will not be safe when present with another one, and, and you, you simplified it as total toxin load. Mm -hmm. and, and that's something that I learned about because as I was unraveling my own problems, I, I certainly had the, the mercury and lead problem I also had you know, lime exposure, which makes, uh, which makes natural toxins and a lot of toxin mold exposure. 
I was uh, allergic, or I am allergic to eight of the top 10 toxic molds, which means I've not only been exposed, I have an allergic response to them, which is like proof of exposure. And when I dug into the literature, both on the chemical side that you write about and on the natural, you know, nature-made toxin mm-hmm. side, safe levels of one mycotoxin, when you put them with safe levels of another mycotoxin, equals way unsafe. And no government on earth has multi-mycotoxin standards. And that's why I did it for the Bulletproof Coffee. There's really probably about like six or seven that are really important in mm-hmm. coffee, but we test for 25 that can occur mm-hmm. And some of them have no government regulation at all. Other ones are single toxin levels. Right. And I'm, I'm genuinely concerned because when you take Mother Nature's toxins, which come from eating processed food that's been mm-hmm. stored for a long time, in fact, in corn, the, the toxins, we spray it with glyphosate, we spray it with all these other things. And one of those things, in fact, I believe it's glyphosate, causes fusarium, the toxic mold, to go into the rootstock. So you can have pristine-looking corn that's been contaminated by its roots because the mold now lives in the roots because of the chemicals we use. So now you're getting mother nature toxins stacked with man-made toxins right. on something that looks like it, you know, it's a pristine ear of corn. And I, I feel the symptoms you write about in your book, uh, things like tremors, dizziness. I don't get elevated blood pressure. I get low blood pressure, which is the opposite side of that. Uh, insomnia for sure, fatigue, and just brain fog. So I'm mm-hmm. like, if I eat a meal, I'm like, I feel this probably because of mitochondrial damage. What about people who don't really feel those too much? I mean, should they should they worry about this? Ah, so you covered a lot of great territory there. So long uh, question, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so let me start with the. Um, I, I think a very important factor, as I taught my students uh, last week, actually, is humans have about a thousand-fold variation in the activity of each of their detox enzymes. That's very significant. It's significant not just when they're low. But sometimes it can be a problem when they're really active. Because you have in your liver kind of a two-stage two process for getting rid of toxins. We have what's called phase one that both directly detoxifies many of these things. But typically for the really tough ones, it converts them into what's called an activated intermediate, which then phase two binds to another molecule called conjugation to then neutralize it, make it water-soluble, get out through the kidneys. That intermediate, that activated intermediate is far more toxic than the chemical that was been activated by phase one. So if you've got a high phase one and a low phase two, you're actually making yourself worse because of that liver enzyme working better. Now, normally you want your liver enzymes all to work really well, but you know, genetically we have these polymorphisms and they vary quite a lot. So it turns out that indeed, you can have a situation where, for example, you're exposed to one toxin and you're producing all this activated intermediate. It's now using up all the glutathione available in phase two for neutralization. And then you expose yourself to another toxin that needs phase two glutathione to neutralize it. And now you can't neutralize it because you've used up all your glutathione. There are tons and tons of examples of how multiple toxins make you far worse, far more toxic and far more damaged than the uh, just single ones at a time. And another factor that's really important is we started looking at the clinical research on toxicity. Up until about the age of 40 to 45, you don't see a lot of effects with toxins except for people who are particularly susceptible. But then once you're at the age of about 40 to 45, if you're not been taking care of yourself, if you've been building up toxic load, if you've damaged your DNA, then frankly all hell breaks loose. Because then all this chronic disease starts happening where people say, oh, yeah, I was fine. But then, you know, I, I was age 50 and I got diabetes or I got heart disease or, oh, God, that's so unlucky I got cancer. Well, no, no, you just spent your whole life setting yourself up for it. 
<laughs> so you know, when you're young, you get away with everything. As you get older, now you cannot cannot get away with it. But now you're starting to pay the price for not taking care of yourself. And during the course of research for Headstrong, I looked at mitochondrial function, and I know that my mitochondrial function is at least it's much better now after all the repair stuff I've done. But it was pretty bad, which is why yes. I was getting brain fog. You have a lot of mitochondria in the brain. Right. Right. I came across some work that said that about 48% of people under age 40 have early onset mitochondrial dysfunction today. Right, right. And pretty much everyone over age 40, it's called aging. <laughs> right. um, yes. And I believe that the, the increase in that early onset mitochondrial dysfunction is directly correlated to toxin load, just like in your book. Yes. And yes. I don't care where the toxins come from, whether we made them or Mother Nature made them or they're made by the bacteria in your gut. Exactly. It's, they're all toxins. They all affect mitochondria uh, one way or another. Right. You know, some of them affect higher level organ systems, but when you keep digging, you always find at the end of the day, mm. it hit the mitochondria. Um, if 48% of people are getting this early onset, some of them are going to feel you know, tremors, dizziness, like these other symptoms. And I guess those are the ones who should worry the most. Mm. And if someone, and I get maybe 5% of people, like, Dave, I can take every mitochondrial enhancer that you make. I, I, can, I, I can drink, uh, drink uh, pizza smoothies, uh, you know, beer, ice cream, stay up all night. It doesn't matter, right? And, and they, these are like walking supermen, as far as I can tell. Like, I, I want their mitochondria. <laughs> right. Uh, right. But, bear, bear, pick, bear, pick, pick a different mother here. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I actually believe that I, I might be one of the first people to get a mitochondrial transplant. I don't see why I shouldn't have mitochondria really? from three different people in, into me. Like, that'd be really cool for re redundancy. That might be uh, it, one of those uh, technologies that will increase our, our actual human longevity. Because I hope so. Because <laughs> basically, yeah, because you're right. Is once a mitochondria are done, you're done. So. Yeah, and, and just having a mix of them. I, I come from a background in making highly fault tolerant computer systems. Uh -huh. So when the different components don't break for the same reason, then like great, something took out half my mitochondria, but the other half are still partying, right, right. which gives me a chance to replace the other ones. So I, I'm I'm super hopeful. That's one of the. 5,000 avenues of anti-aging that, that might save both of our lives. Okay, so you may know this data, um, but not a single uh, audience I've spoken to has been able to answer this question correctly. How much ATP do you produce every day at rest? Mm, the at rest might make it tough. My research says that the 50 or 60 grams we normally have get recycled to about 600 pounds of ATP on a daily basis. You're the first person to answer that correctly. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so I, I, my, my data is a little different, but you're, you're the closest of anybody so far. So it turns out that we basically produce our body weight in ATP every day at rest. Okay. Now, if you go out and sprint, you know, run away from that saber-toothed tiger trying to eat you, you know, we, we produce a half a pound of ATP every minute to give people an idea of how much, I mean, our mitochondria, you know, we, do, we don't store ATP. Your ATP goes away, you're dead. Okay, pure and so right, right away, because we don't store any ATP in our bodies. So you think about the incredible metabolic activity necessary in the mitochondria to produce all the ATP every day. And of course, we're not just sitting down, we're moving around and being active. Then indeed, we're, we're, we require, uh, you know, you know, hundreds of pounds of ATP every day. So that helps explain why the mitochondria are so susceptible to environmental toxins, and nutritional deficiencies. So I'm an avid basketball player. So I've been playing basketball at this, the, you might say, 
at the same place and time, the same game, for over 30 years now. Wow. Everybody in my age group, everybody in the age group below me are now gone. Because I know noticed... about about 70, I'm guessing? Yeah, you got it right. I, I'm, okay. I'm, this is, I was born in 1947. Okay. So I play with guys half my age. And what I've noticed is that when guys hit about the age of 50, they all disappear. Because what's mm-hmm. happened is, well, after you play, you know, do you play basketball yourself? Uh, I'm too tall. Okay. <laughs> too tall. Okay. Well, I have I'm, a screw in my knee, so I, I watch okay. basketball, but I don't play it. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm on the more shorter side of, well, okay. average, average height, I guess. But I love the game nonetheless. Yeah. But anyway, so um, when playing with these guys, you know, after you play a couple hours of full court basketball on a, you know, of course you want to do it on a wood court because you do it on an mm-hmm. asphalt, you know, you destroy your joints. But, you know, you're really sore afterwards. So what are these guys doing? Well, they're, they're popping their ibuprofen and nostril anti-inflammatory drugs and things like that, which take away the pain, but they do two things, which is critically important. Number one is they actually impair cartilage regeneration in the knees, mm-hmm. and they poison the mitochondria. So yes. What's happening is they burn out the bodies more quickly. So, I, so it's interesting. I just I look at these guys. I love playing with them, and I know that they're only going to be there for 10 or 20 years because that, after that, they've wrecked their bodies and they're done. And because you understand, well, human systems, the, 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 the course that you teach, uh, you don't make those non-obvious decisions. Feeling good the next day seems to make sense. And there are natural things like turmeric, you might consider, that don't cause mitochondrial damage that also help with, with swelling and allow your body to still heal, right? So it'd be fun to uh, sit down and compare notes because I've been pretty aggressive about taking care of my mitochondria for a very long period of time now. So I have a pretty good idea of what it takes for the mitochondria to function properly and what damages them more quickly. And these things are largely under our control. I am absolutely fascinated. I'll get you a copy of Headstrong, and then what we'll do is we'll sit down for lunch in Seattle, uh, the Bulletproof headquarters in Bellevue, so it's easy okay. for me to come down there. Great. And uh, maybe we'll record our conversation and make it a bonus okay. thing here for, for your book or for the, the podcast. And we'll just talk about like how do you hack your mitochondria, because mm-hmm. not a lot of people are doing it, especially because you've been doing it for longer than I have, and you're further along in life. And the the difference is is like, you you look at ATP or you look at uh, mitochondria, they're 10% of your body weight maybe. And when you you think about your iPhone, uh, which is a good a good thing for, for listeners, if the battery discharges faster, your phone stops working halfway through the day. If you can do something to make the battery last longer, your phone works better and you get more out of it. And if you're, you look at the mitochondria in you, 10% of you is your battery. You put, you put a toxin in there, the battery won't take a charge. Like a third of the capacity is gone. So you charge it, and it doesn't work. And how do you charge a mitochondria? You eat, right? May, may I use that analogy in one of my lectures? That's, that's a great analogy. Please uh, use anything in your lectures. The whole point is to get this knowledge out there. Right. If, like, if only someone had told me this when I was 20, and I understood that what I was doing was harming my mitochondria, especially as I got fatter, which is a mitochondrial dysfunction, and as I got more and more brain fog, and, and to the point where I, I was I was to the point where I wouldn't have hired myself, even though I had a high-powered Silicon Valley job, I made all kinds of money that I then lost, I was barely hanging on, and, and I, was, I was genuinely fearful for my ability to care for myself. Uh, and I know so many other people who get there. I, I get celebrities now, like like musicians and and famous actors and all, who are are there because they're living a highly toxic lifestyle with with skincare products painted on them on sets full of yes. formaldehyde. Yes. And 
and it's it's hitting them. And, and you know, we talk about that stuff privately, and, and they're scared because not only do they have to feel good, they have to look good. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm like 300 pound computer hacker. All I have to do is be able right. to like think. Uh, so I, I'm I'm genuinely uh, interested in your program, and we'll see if there's any upgrades to this, the recommendations here. Um, what would you offer for for people listening? Um, who now they know because of what we just talked about, they're getting these pollutants, even if they eat mostly organic, which is a good choice, they're still yes. getting some because they breathe and because they right. shower and things. Right. Top three mitochondrial enhancing or just detox enhancing things. Like, like what, what should you do right now if you're listening going, oh my God, I thought this was all BS. This guy's credible. It's not BS. What do right. I do? Okay, so before I answer that, let me go back and something you talk, mentioned earlier. So first one, let's, let's have that, that lunch, talk about we mitochondria, and let's record it. When you, and when you started the uh, program, you mentioned how sweating gets rid of toxins. So I assume you've been reading the work of Stephen Genuis up in Edmonton, Alberta. That name isn't familiar. I, I read oh, a lot of papers, so though, so he's, do tell me. So he's the guy who got people sweating, and then he took their sweat and measured what was in it, and he also uh, compared it to what was in their sweat to what was in their blood and what was in their urine. So a couple of years ago, I had a chance to meet him. Uh, we ate at a uh, organic vegetarian restaurant, and I'm, I'm not exaggerating. We start, we sat down, started talking. When I next looked up, it was two hours later, and I <laughs> wish I had taped that conversation because it was just fascinating. Because he had he came from from the uh, as, you know, as a clinician, as a researcher. With his perspectives, and I came out as a clinician researcher with my perspectives, and it was fun to see where we agree, where we didn't agree, how we could learn from each other. It, it was so much fun. So let's record it. <laughs> okay. okay, it will definitely record it, and we'll, at a minimum, we'll do a transcript. Sometimes the sound quality is no good for a sure. podcast, but th- this is the sort of stuff that's why I, I do Bulletproof Radio, is to get a chance to talk with guys like you because you've got a wealth of experience out there, and we have this unfortunate habit of like, we only are willing to look at double-blind uh, clinical trial data, but the real knowledge and the stuff that you're mining in your AI stuff, it comes from clinical experience and looking at what works and noticing things that shouldn't be and asking right. why. Right. And we have these, I call them science trolls. It's people out there who will say, well, I don't, be- I don't like that, therefore it's not true. Right. Uh, therefore, here's a study that I Googled in five minutes on PubMed that disagrees, therefore you're a con artist. Right. And, and it's like it's completely logical fallacy ad hominem attacks. It, it's all BS, but it's only like three to five percent of people. And when someone with your your knowledge and experience takes the time and trouble to write a book about it, that signals something for for people listening. You're not going to waste your time. You're running university. Like like you have stuff to do with your time. Few people understand the amount of of energy it takes to to put all of that knowledge into only whatever eighty thousand words. It it, it is. Right. It is, it's thousands of hours of like, do I really, like, do people need to, do I need to cut that? We're not going to waste our time on that stuff. Uh, and then to be able to hear you, I, I think, is a different a different way. But anyway, that, that's why I started the show, is I just wanted to be able to pick your brain. And that's a great public service. You know, the, you know, one of the reasons I started Best Year was because there's this huge body of knowledge that the pioneers of natural medicine have, you know, learned over the centuries about how to be healthy. And it was systematically removed from the populace by conventional medicine. Anyway, let's go back to your question about mitochondria. Um, So mitochondrial strategy is basically three parts. Number one is one of the most important things you can do to not damage your mitochondria, 
always tell students, we always great herbs and nutrients and things we can use for patients, but you first have to stop the damage. I don't yes. care how good your herbs are and vitamins are, if you're still causing damage, it's not going to do much good. The second thing we want to do is to, is to, you might say, facilitate mitochondria to work the way they're supposed to with the right kind of nutrients. And in particular, a, a key, key, key approach is protecting the mitochondria from themselves. Because, yes. because the mitochondria produce um, a, a huge amount of oxidative stress every day just producing ATP. And if you're not producing ATP efficiently, you're leaking a lot of high-energy electrons and, uh, and, and uh, oxygen, and it causes a lot of damage. And the third factor is, how do you make the mitochondria work even better? Now, okay. <laughs> I love the way you think. This is exactly it. Okay, okay good. So I'll, I'll say something on each, each of those three categories. Yeah. So number one, in terms of th things that damage the mitochondria, let me take two that people probably don't often think about. And that is, uh, do you drink alcohol? Now, whether you drink alcohol or not, it's totally up to you. Okay. So if you drink alcohol, it does damage mitochondria because, as yeah. you mentioned earlier, it depletes glutathione. Now, if you drink alcohol in the form of beer or wine, interestingly enough, it doesn't deplete the glutathione. So with regular uh, alcohol, like uh, vodka, for example, you see a drop in ATP production. Get the same amount of alcohol in the form of beer or wine, you don't get a decrease in ATP production. Now, converse... Wow. Yeah. Uh, do you know why that is? I've never heard this. Oh, um, so, <laughs> some great data done, for example, um, a study was done in nuns in a cloister, never drank alcohol. They gave them de-alcoholized beer, just one quart a day, and they increased their glutathione levels and their RBCs by, by about 30%. So it's a B vitamin thing? Um, maybe. I, so okay. I, so but, but something in beer clearly uh, increases. And because same beer thing is also high in ochratoxin A. It's one of the things that causes the biggest hangover in people. Yeah. Oh, there may be right. a, a, a lot of other okay. things that are problematic, but if okay. we're looking at the ATP, okay, it. turns okay. out there's something that helps them. And then with wine, of course, the resveratrol increases glutathione levels. Now, conversely, if you also then drink alcohol in the form of aged aged things like you know uh, whiskey and scotch and things like that you actually damage mitochondria more so if you're going to be drinking alcohol you know it's your choice what you do well drink the alcohol in the form of beer or wine don't drink it in the form of scotch and you won't damage your mitochondria this is all right i'm gonna to have to dig in on that i've got an infographic that okay. I, I offer people that says here's like no matter what alcohol isn't a good choice for your mitochondria uh, but if you drink the stuff that's already been charcoal filtered and distilled, at least you didn't have to take all, all the byproducts out right. along with it. So it's less of a load on the liver. And then you right. should take vitamin C or glutathione, and you should consider taking activated charcoal with right. it to undo the damage from the uh, the acetylaldehyde that forms in the first step of, right. of breaking right. it down. Make, make sure you think levels are good, et cetera. Right. Um, but I've never, and, and the problem is, is so much wine and beer is full of glyphosate, especially American wine. <sighs> And it's full of ochratoxin A because our, our government levels here are, are not very good. Mm -hmm. So like I'll drink an organic French wine where the levels are two parts per billion, but I don't really feel good on most American wine because it's got glyphosate in it. Yeah. And like, so you're, you're giving me food for thought here. I'm going to do some okay. research. And it's possible people listening, I may tweak the, the alcohol infographic uh, based on Dr. Bazzorno's uh, stuff here because I've, I've never heard that before. So thank and you for that. Interestingly enough, that study I just quoted to you was done in Europe. Ah, on the that beer makes sense. So it's, it's interesting. So maybe the beer they were drinking did not have as much contamination. That's quite they, also, they also use traditional species of yeast in their making. Uh, yeah. And when they make stuff in Europe, the American species of yeast are hyper-aggressive. They're bred that way. Huh. So there might be a difference there. It, yeah. Fascinating yeah. stuff. Okay, so you, you blew okay. me away on that so one. Okay, the next that was one step is, one. Okay. Don't so drink, basically. Step two, then, is 
you know, protect your mitochondria from themselves. Okay. And that is, um, I, I won't get into a lot of detail, but you just, there's a lot of mitochondrial damage, mitochondrial DNA damage that happens uh, when you're not controlling those high energy electrons. So it turns out there's several strategies that are important. Number one is you want to get your glutathione levels up as much as you can. And you can either um, take it topically, take it liposomally, or glutathione by itself is not, it's not very effective. It gets broken yeah. down the system. So your, your glutathione will still go up, but it's an expensive way of doing it. Uh -huh. um, but I, I, my preference is N-acetylcysteine because N-acetylcysteine will get your glutathione levels up quite nicely. In addition, uh, critical, critical, critical is coenzyme Q10. So coenzyme Q10 carries the high-energy electrons from the you know, various uh, parts of the mitochondria so that the high-energy electrons are being converted into ATP. Well, if you have low CoQ10, like, for example, you're taking a statin drug, now you're going to lose more of those high-energy electrons, you're going to burn out your mitochondria more quickly. And the third factor that I think is um, a very, well, there's so many nutrients we can talk about being important for <laughs> yeah. mitochondria. Let's just leave, you, know, you said limited number, let's just stick with that. CoQ10 and NADC. Now, the third aspect, get your mitochondria to produce more ATP. So there's been some oh. fascinating research done in animals, and some, we're starting to see some reproduction in humans as well, and there's supplements you can take like acetyl-carnitine. And what the mm -hmm. acetyl-carnitine does is it helps transport the fatty acids into the mitochondria more efficiently so you can produce more ATP. So there's research that's been done where they look at how far a, an animal can run, a young animal, compared to an old animal, and the old animal can only run half as far as a young animal. Well, if you give that old animal acetyl-carnitine along with alpha-lipoic acid, they can run as far as the young animal. So here I am, I'm this old rat who plays basketball with guys half my age. So I'm doing all these things to get my mitochondria to work as well as possible because I, you know, I want to keep running the court. I want to keep you know, enjoying this game that is, is so much fun for me to play. Well, those are awesome recommendations. Those are, are similar to some of the ones in Headstrong. And there's a bunch of other things around modifying the Krebs cycle, reducing electron leakage, in increasing efficiency. And yes. uh, um, one of my favorites is something that we, we manufacture, just came out with it called Keto Prime. It's the last step of the Krebs cycle before you take new electrons in from food, whether it's from ketones or from pyruvate, uh, which comes from carbs or protein breakdown. So the idea is if you have any electron leakage, you run out of this thing called ketosuccinic acid. So if that's low, then your next cycle of the Krebs cycle won't work. So you basically top up the last step of the Krebs cycle so you can efficiently use food. So even if there's electron leakage, you, you basically never lose the ability to run the full Krebs. And, I, I've um, not run across it. That's interesting. I, I look forward to learning more about it. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll send some to you. And, and, and that's something that I've just noticed huge changes in my energy, especially around exercise and all, and, and cognitive function from doing it. And it's neat because it's a ketone, but it's not the normal ketones that we get from going uh, into uh, uh, ketosis kind of cyclical oh, interesting. diet. interesting. Uh, and so, but like, that's one of the, the many things, like you said, like we could talk probably for, for six hours about all the Easy. different nutrients. And I think for people listening, they get a little bit overwhelmed. Like, okay, I'm going to spend $2,000 a month on mitochondrial enhancing supplements, and I don't know which ones work, and I'm afraid I'm going to have expensive pee. And, and, and you go through all this stuff, but, but I, I like it. So what you're saying there is something for glutathione. You like NAC. Um, I, I have concerns about the rate limiting. Like you can only convert so much NAC before you run out of cofactors. Um, but yeah, NAC works to a certain level. Um, there, and then you're saying CoQ10, which you and I would totally agree on. Like everyone listening, you can get CoQ10 all over the place. It's kind of a commodity thing. I, I bind CoQ10 to 
an unusual acid-based form of uh, of PQQ. PQQ, and make, yes. And then we make like little nanoparticles, or they're actually microparticles of it, suspended in water for better absorption, um, which is uh, something called unfair advantage that that we manufacture. But um, that's not that much CoQ10. There's no reason that people shouldn't. I recommend like 100 milligrams a day. What's your number for for? So I personally have been taking 100 milligrams of CoQ10 a day uh, for <clears throat> 20 years, and <laughs> 10 to 20 milligrams per day depend upon how the cost has changed of the PQQ for almost 10 years. So, so it's good, so to I, see, good to see our thinking is quite congruent. I started PQQ at 30 milligrams, uh, and I did that for two years, uh, about 10 years ago as well, when the research first came out. But I could never feel any difference, and I feel when my mitochondria work better. That was why we came up with the delivery system in Unfair Advantage, because that stuff, like, it, it hits me. And I'm like, oh, okay, something just happened. And I think it has to do with... Uh, the the only manufacturer of PQQ out there makes a disodium salt form that precipitates out in your stomach. So the absorption of that is is almost as bad as glutathione if it's not properly packaged. Um, so it, it's it's one of the things. If, if you're feeling it, you should do it. Eat it with a high fat meal. That might help. Uh, take uh, uh, or maybe it, it, I, I don't have great lab data on it, but mm-hmm. the, the the science is that stomach acid is going to kill it. So you take it with a high fat meal, you're going to get stomach acid. You take it on an empty stomach, it doesn't absorb well, right. but at least it doesn't. I don't know. But I, I'm a fan of PQQ. I would do it intravenously if there was a good way. Interesting. So. Interesting. Do you believe in IV vitamins and other things like that? A good question. Um, so, as a clinician, I of course have seen people at wide range of health and disease status, and uh, in general, I always prefer to get it through food. Number one. Uh, if the person is not able to get the nutrients accurately from food, I then do supplementation. But then if their digestive system is so damaged, then I will do IV vitamins. Now, you have to be okay. pretty careful with IV vitamins because you have to realize that when you do a high dose of a single or just a few molecules, you might say, you have to look at what else it does in the body. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, yes, I do it, but I, I only do it as my last resort, not as a first resort. So I, I tend to about every two to three weeks I get a Myers cocktail with ah, the methylated forms Myers, of vitamins yes. right. and some glutathione and yes. a little bit of B12 and, and right. all that. And I, I found it that works for me, mm-hmm. but uh, I also travel 125 days a year. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm a dad and a CEO of a company and an author and a radio right. show host, and like I'm, I'm, I'm pushing limits, and I find right. that helps me to be resilient. But I, I think for the average person, that could be overkill. Uh, and who knows, maybe I'm imbalancing something. Yes. So, yeah. Um, it, I think the, what you said, which is most important, and that is understanding what your body needs, what your unique needs are, and then meet those. And in general, they can be met with supplementation, uh, but sometimes you need the IV approach. So um, I, I'm not opposed to it. I just, I, I prefer to do the other things first. And then if you don't get the results, then like I say, do the IV. Uh, beautiful. I feel like we could have another two hours of interview, but we're we're coming up on the end of this. And the good thing is we'll do an in-person one because we're geographically close and because you're too interesting not to do that. Uh, I want listeners to understand that in the toxin solution, uh, I didn't kind of walk through all all parts of it, but you basically have a nine-week thing where you you step people through the different parts of detox, which is a an effective way to do it. I, I really like the way you're thinking about the system of the body. And I would, I would encourage you, if you're listening to this and this is resonating with you, it, it's worth checking out the toxin solution, thetoxinsolution.com. 
Can I, can I just real quickly, just a sure. couple minutes or one minute? So yeah. what I do with the toxin solution is first off say, here's how toxins damage your body. Here's where they're coming from. So, and here's how you avoid them. And then how do you prepare your body to get rid of the toxins? So how do you get your gut cleaned up? How do you get your liver functioning properly? How do you get your kidneys functioning properly? Because I'm, I don't think doing a detox program without preparing your body for detox is a very good idea because you release, release the toxins from the tissues and there's no place for them to go and get out of your body. You're just going to redistribute them and cause damage as well. So stop, stop the toxins coming in, prepare your body for it, and then I'd pr- provide a really intense program for now getting the toxins out. And then the final chapter is uh, something I think you'd really enjoy, and that is how do you live a toxin-free life? You know, how do you choose the household cleaning agents and how do you choose health and beauty aids and how do you choose your food? How do you prepare your food? What kind of packaging materials do you use? All these things we've got to do. How do you prepare your food? I, tell me that you're telling people to avoid like charring and grilling and frying. Is that part of it? Absolutely. Yes, so, that's in my book as well. All right. No one does that in paleo. The whole paleo were like deep fried whatever. Like, no, it doesn't matter if it's grass-fed beef. If you burn the crab, it's going to be bad for your mitochondria. Yeah, I, I you, love get, it. you produce, produce yeah. the ages and you produce all this oxidized <laughs> lysine that's carcinogenic and it's, it's, it's just terrible. No, oh, so yeah. you, I, I love it that you're talking about that because these are things that, that really matter that we do every single day that people just don't know about. Like, but it tasted good. Like, it doesn't matter if it tastes good. If it's knocking you out 10 right. years from now, you still don't want to do it. Like, find right. something else that tastes good. Yes. Right? Yes. So have you heard of the healthy stir-fry uh, created by my friend George Battalion? I have it. I'm guessing some water is in it as well? Yep. Or yeah, how does he, it work? He, no, no oil. You put water in the pan so it doesn't get too hot. You saute your vegetables in the oil, I mean, I'm sorry, in the, in the water, and then after you've cooked them, then add oil. That's so exactly that how I cook. I mean, oh, to a you. tea. Okay. You, you never want to cook in oil. Like, oil is precious, and when you heat it, even if it's butter and all, right. it, it, it's just not a good thing because the heat transfers too much heat to the food, and right. water rate limits at 212 when it turns into steam. Right. So I, I love it, and this is in your book as well. Uh, it is. Uh, I think I mentioned the book. Okay. Heart. Hard, it's been a while since I wrote it. Yeah. Uh, I believe I talked about her healthy stir fries, but okay. I'm not sure if I remember. Sorry. Yeah, the the standard bulletproof techniques. I have, I have a cookbook as well, and it's you always cook with a little bit of water, and you don't want to caramelize and char and brown because those they trigger inflammation. And yes, they taste good, but it's okay to eat things that also taste good that don't cause inflammation. All right, I have one more question for you, and this is a question that I've asked every guest on the show. And it's based on your work, but not just your work, just your whole life's progress. If someone came to you tomorrow and said, look, I want to perform better at everything I do in life. What are the three most important pieces of advice you would give me? What would you offer them? So I've been asked that question. <laughs> and I'll give you the simplest things. Number one, eat real food that has been organically grown and properly prepared. Number two, uh, become much more aware of how toxins get into your body. And number three, build muscle mass. So uh, while I think exercise is important, I think muscle mass is even more important. And we can get all those reasons, but you have to realize that if you've got more muscle mass, those muscle cells are producing ATP. And even when they're not, you're not using those muscles, they're producing more ATP and it makes everything else in your body work better. I love that last one. I don't think anyone's ever talked about muscle mass. It might have been an answer I've heard once out of 350 episodes. Wow. And it, it's interesting. I just took a research compound uh, two months ago that in animals increases skeletal mitochondria by 50% in four mm. weeks. And I felt a huge difference as in 
I stopped needing to wear a jacket in, in, in snowstorms. Like I just radiating heat. I had huh. to back off my thyroid meds and I put on 19 pounds of muscle without, or with four, four workouts. It was kind of ridiculous. That but there's, is pretty stunning. <laughs> it's a, it's a SARM, the select, a selective androgen receptor modulator, but there's, there's a whole bunch of mitochondrial hacking coming down the pipe hmm. uh, where I have no idea what the long-term effects of that will be, but I'm betting they're good. Yeah. So we don't know, but I, I love your last one about muscle mass because it does matter, and it doesn't mean you work out every single day hard. Uh, it, it means you do what it takes to get your muscle mass back. Well, I thought it was interesting in your book because I looked at what you said there, and if I understood you properly, you do what I do, and that is I, once a week, do mm. really intense high-weight high work. So yeah. a very short period of time, really intense, and it's incredibly effective. It, it saves time, and it works better than yes. beating yourself up every day like I used to do. When I weighed 300 pounds, I worked out an hour and a half a day, yes. and I couldn't lose the weight. So. Yes. I, I, had, I did uh, two years of standard, you might say, Nautilus training with a, with a, a trainer. So. Mm-hmm. And you know, it gave me some benefit. And then I did the high-intensity training, and in six weeks, I increased my vertical leap by four inches. And that, you know, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, what that meant was I actually had a 25 to 50% increase in strength. It was just yeah. incredible how much more effective it was. When when you get it right, you can quantify the measurement, and it saves you time. And I I also just believe by freeing up time, everyone's too busy. They want more time with their kids. They want more time for work or their family. If you're saving an hour a day of working out and you're getting better results, like that's kind of makes the world a better place. Twenty minutes. Well, if you do it right, twenty minutes a week is all you need to do. <laughs> this is so cool. Uh, now, people. So we're up on the end of the show. People can learn more about you, and I, I think anyone who who listen to the show for the whole length understands that you've you spent some time thinking about these things and that you're a living example of what you're talking about. Uh, so you've put this down. Your new book is, is very well thought out and it, it totally passes the, the bar from my perspective around the way to think about it and just the way to approach the toxin problem, which is under-recognized in almost all health literature, especially the popular stuff. It's called The Toxin Solution and you can get it at, funny enough, thetoxinsolution.com. And uh, you, uh, for listeners, uh, you're listening to Dr. Joseph Pizzorno, who's a founder of Bastyr University in Seattle, and uh, one of the top probably 25 most influential uh, experts in the field of, of functional alternative medicine. So this is a pretty special interview for Bulletproof Radio. It's been a lot of fun for me, and Dr. Pizzorno, thanks for being on the show. Thank you. It's been great talking with you, and I, I look forward to our, our lunch. We, that, me too. There's a lot more to explore here. If you liked today's episode, you know what to do. Head on over to The Toxin Solution and pick up a copy of Dr. Bozzano's book because it's actually going to make a difference for you and Bulletproof Radio is about making a difference. And while you're at it, since you're in book buying mode, you might also head on over to orderheadstrong.com and pick up a copy of that too. You'll find that if you do the toxin avoidance strategies and The Toxin Solution, your mitochondria will work better. Do some of the mitochondria upgrade strategies in headstrong and your mitochondria will work better. More mitochondria equals more cognitive function because you have the most mitochondria in your neurons. So these things stack really nicely. And if you only buy one of the two books, that's totally cool too. Either one is going to benefit you. And I'm certain you got value for your time in this episode. And if there was more we should have talked about, tell me in the comments and I'll make sure to talk about those things next time Dr. Bozzorno and I meet and we record it for you. Have a great day. The Human Upgrade, formerly Bulletproof Radio, was created and is hosted by Dave Asprey. 
The information contained in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended for the purposes of diagnosing, treating, curing, or preventing any disease. Before using any products referenced on the podcast, consult with your healthcare provider, carefully read all labels, and heed all directions and cautions that accompany the products. Information found or received through the podcast should not be used in place of a consultation or advice from a healthcare provider. If you suspect you have a medical problem or should you have any healthcare questions, please promptly call or see your healthcare provider. This podcast, including Dave Asprey and the producers, disclaim responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of information contained herein. Opinions of guests are their own, and this podcast does not endorse or accept responsibility for statements made by guests. This podcast does not make any representations or warranties about guest qualifications or credibility. This podcast may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products or services. Individuals on this podcast may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to herein. This podcast is owned by Bulletproof Media.